This podcast records Gladly University's top-notch child welfare trainings and turns them into digestible and easy-to-consume information to help you be more equipped as a parent, child welfare specialist, counselor, social worker, or a human navigating this world. Sit back, get comfy, and get ready to learn. Enjoy. Welcome to Gladney University. This training is called Exploring and Planning Adoption from the Expectant Mother's View. Our speaker's name is Jennifer Lanter. Jennifer is the Vice President of Communications for the Gladney Center for Adoption. Jennifer has extensive media experience and has worked with People Magazine, Oprah Winfrey Network, Lifetime, MTV, Washington Post, New York Times, and several other media outlets. Jennifer is passionate about public speaking and loves the message of hope and adoption across the world. We hope you enjoy this program. Happy learning. Everyone, I'm so glad that you're here with us today. I cannot wait to talk talk about this topic. Um, it is something that I'm extremely passionate about, and um, I love, love, love working in the field of adoption. It's both um, very challenging and also very rewarding at the same time. I want to, before I dive into the presentation, I want to tell you a little bit about Gladney, just because I think it's important to understand kind of the evolution of adoption and kind of the history of adoption through the lens that I'll be speaking through, which is the Gladney Center for Adoption. Gladney has been around for over 130 years. Um, during that time, as you can imagine, adoption has changed a lot. We've learned a lot um, from adoption over the years, and we learn a lot from our clients. We understand that education is pinnacle to making sure that our clients are prepared for their adoption journey, and we believe in family for life at Gladney as well. So our services don't end um, just you know, or they don't just serve our clients uh, before the adoption process and during the adoption process, they are a lifelong. So Gladney continues to grow and change and so do our programs. So as we go along today, I'll be talking about the expectant mom's um, kind of process and what that's like for someone planning adoption and why someone would choose adoption. Um, as we go along today, I just wanna tell you about our objectives. They are who is Gladney and which I just gave you a little overview of um, why women or families may choose to place their child for adoption, which is extremely important to know what the reasons why those are, and they may be different than what you think. And then details about the adoption process and the legal aspects of adoption, our services for clients, which I think is really important, and adoption best practices. So we'll kind of be talking about kind of the ethics of adoption as we're going through this and how to make an adoption referral in a non-directive and ethical manner. And then finally, we'll be sharing some adoption resources with you. When I was talking to you about who Gladney is, I talked a little bit about our history, but I also want to talk about the fact that we have several different programs at Gladney, but today, as I mentioned, we'll be talking about our expectant mother birth mother program. We also specialize in foster care adoptions. We're one of the very few agencies that actually has a straight to um, from foster care to adopt program, and we have um, an international programs in Colombia and Asia, um, China and Taiwan. So, 
Um, we do have a lot of different kinds of programs and we are um, evolving those programs to meet our community needs. A great example of that is that we used to um, house expectant moms in our dorm uh, for, for women that needed housing. And we realized that that wasn't such a great service for women. They wanted to stay in their communities and they wanted to be um, where they had great peer support, um, like in their own apartment or their own home with their family. So we changed that dorm recently in the last couple of years into a foster care housing group home for women in foster or girls in foster care. So um, our goal is to help women who are girls who want to get adopted to be adopted. And if they are aging out of the foster care system and don't have an interest in being adopted, then we provide transitional care for them in the sense that we're helping them get ready for the next stage in their life. And who is Gladney? Um, I talked all about this a little bit already, but one of the important things to remember is that adoption is um, has evolved and continues to evolve. And one of the things and one of the ways it's evolved is when adoption first started out, um, there were a lot of children that were orphaned in the North because of the industrial age. And those children were put on trains and taken across the country and at different stops and they would get off and children would be quote unquote, put up for adoption up on little, um, it was almost like a little wooden stage. And the older, stronger children um, were adopted first because they were usually um, very handy on the farm. And Reverend Ozzie T. Morris, who was the founder of um, back then the Children's Home and Aid Society, which later became the Gladney Center for Adoption, thought this was a horrendous practice. And so for the children, Fort Worth was literally the last stop for them. And so for the children that um, were left over at that last stop, him and his wife, Belle, decided to find forever homes for those children. They worked tirelessly to do that. And Mrs. Gladney was one of the very first fundraisers for the agency. So she would help them raise money. An interesting note that I like to talk about is that um, during this time in the 1800s, late 1800s, Fort Worth was really being built um, and a lot of there was a lot of nonprofit needs or a lot of child welfare needs and so the Gladney Center for Adoption, Lena Pope and All Church Home and Cook Children's Hospital all kind of were form, formed at the same time and they were all working together for the benefit of children and families and I think that's pretty amazing um, and I'm glad that we're, we have that early part of the history and those people that I've just mentioned, Lena Pope, ACA, and um, Cook Children's Hospital are all still part of Gladney to, I mean, part of us all working together to make sure our community is strong together. So um, we do have a rich history in Fort Worth, but we're also um, international. As I mentioned, we have the international programs and, um, and we work very hard to make sure that every child has a loving, caring family. Um, I want to talk to you about um, the why behind adoption. So if you look at our kind of our quote unquote average client, which there's really not such a thing, but I think it is important to get like a general idea of who may be planning adoption. She is maybe a little bit different than you think she would be. Um, she is usually in her late 20s. She usually already has other children. Um, she doesn't usually have a a very high education, and she may be working multiple jobs. She also may have mental health issues um, or addiction issues that she's working on, and she may not have a lot of support, um, and she may have experienced abuse and neglect herself. This is just kind of a little snapshot. Of course, we work with women from 
all over the country and there are all different kinds of circumstances, but this is kind of just an average overview of why somebody would um, or who is kind of making an adoption plan. I want to um, first talk a little bit about some of the circumstances that may lead to someone planning adoption and 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 what that process is like for her. So a lot of the women that we work with would very, very, very much like to parent their child, but for whatever reason, they're just not able to. Maybe it's for one of the reasons I just mentioned on the last slide. Maybe she is, um, is struggling with mental health issues. Maybe she just doesn't have um, the things that she needs in her life to be uh, to provide for her child or herself. And so she wants something better than she's able to give at this time in her life. Um, I just want to say that that does not make her a bad person. The women that we work with have a deep, deep care and empathy for wanting to provide for their children. They just know that they may not be in a place to do that at this time. So what I'll first talk about as far as process goes is a planned adoption. And when you're thinking about a planned adoption, this could be at any different stage really in her pregnancy. Some women contact us from that very first pregnancy test um, and other women may not be contacting us until she's already delivered and we'll kind of talk about that process a little bit later because it's a little bit different not a lot but a little bit so if she's contacting us beforehand and a lot of women most women um, that contact Gladney do so uh, maybe even in the uh, middle to late stage of their pregnancy they may be trying to decide what they want to do during those first several months and they're just not sure and they keep going back and forth between parenting and adoption and that's super normal and healthy and we encourage that because it's important that she does go through the decision-making process and make a plan that's best for her and her baby. And that could look very different from one day to the next. Um, I will say that a lot of the clients that we're working with, they can be super committed to adoption one day and then, you know, three days later, just not be sure about this is what's right for them. And this is a great time to explore all of her options. So the first thing that she may do is she may call or email or instant message us for information. And the first thing that we do is just make sure we're answering her questions and that we're helping her understand what an adoption plan could look like if she wanted to go down that road. We're also making sure that she's safe and okay um, and that she's not in any immediate danger. We um, wanna make sure that we're meeting her where she is emotionally and also physically. If she would like to meet us at you know, McDonald's, we're happy to do that. Um, our caseworkers are on standby to make sure that we can meet with clients, our potential clients, and answer their questions and help them understand the adoption process. During that kind of first initial meetings, maybe adoption is not right for her and we can help plug her into other community resources that would be helpful to her if she's wanting to parent. So um, it's, it's very common for our caseworkers to be just asking a lot of questions and making sure that um, we're getting the information um, or that we're giving her the information that she needs. Um, we can also, in addition to that counselor meeting that I talked about where we can come out and meet with her, um, if she wants, we can help her start filling out some paperwork. Now at this stage, she's still just exploring adoption. So she does not make any promises. She does not make any forever plans until after the baby is born. And I think it's important to remember that. Also, another thing that I want to point out at Gladney, um, one of the things that sets us apart is that our caseworkers 
Um, we have caseworkers that work with just expectant moms, and we have caseworkers that work with just adoptive parents. And so that way they're not, the caseworkers aren't conflicted or they're not having to juggle different needs from different clients um, that they have an advocate just that's just for them. So um, if they start filling out the paperwork and they think they are wanting to consider adoption, then they're assigned a caseworker and that caseworker meets with them. And one of the first things they do is just kind of get to know each other. And, and she um, really spends a lot of time figuring out what, what the client might need. Does this client want to meet? meet weekly? Does this client want to meet monthly? What are some of the needs the expectant mom has? Um, does she need housing? Does she need help with um, paying any pregnancy-related expenses? Some of the, um, the expenses that we're allowed to pay via licensing is we can help with um, housing. We can help with any maternity related ex, um, expense. We can make sure that she has groceries and electricity and water, all those kinds of things. Um, Gladney is a nonprofit organization. So none, um, you know, our expectant moms that we're working with, about 30% of them will change their mind and decide to parent and that's okay. And they will never ever um, owe us any money or be charged for anything. This is a free service that we're providing them. So once she's um, filled out the paperwork and um, the caseworker and the client are developing a good relationship, um, when the expectant mom is ready, she can start choosing the adoptive families. And the way that she does that is she can um, she she can look online. We have um, a great website, um, gladneyadoptions.com, um, where we have a lot of parent profiles on there. And um, we encourage most of our families that are willing to be open to be open and on our website and even to make videos because we know um, from experience that the women that we're working with are usually looking for the for adoptive parents for their baby, not necessarily an agency. So because they don't know what they need or what they're looking for. And so this is a great way um, to, 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 to do that. So, um, so we're helping her find the family that's right for her. She can search by religion, by where they live in the country, um, that kind of thing. And she's also meeting with her caseworker to talk about what, what's important to her. Does she want a stay-at-home mom? Does she want a same-sex family? Does she want, does she want a working mom and a professional father? Like, what are the things that are important to her? Does she want siblings? Um, what kind of home environment do they want? Do they want like a rural environment or an urban environment. Um, and so those are the things that they're talking about and discussing. Once she meets with uh, or once she finds a family that she likes, um, the caseworkers work together and we set up our first, um, usually it's a first phone call and then a face to face meeting. And so that way she can get to know the family. She can ask them questions um, they can talk about the openness that they want in their adoption plans together. Um, most of Gladney's adoptions are semi open to open. We do very, very, very few closed 
adoptions, and that would be at the at the expectant mother's request only, not the adoptive families. So uh, the majority of our uh, the women that we're working with want more of a semi-open to open adoption, and that means different things to different people. So for example, she may want to see the family once or twice a year, or maybe she um, wants you know regular correspondence. But we help create that dynamic of that that um, open adoption or that semi-open adoption, and we work on creating a uh, post-adoption agreement together. Um, and that's a very important part of the process because after the baby is placed with the adoptive family, if she decides to do that, it's important that the um, birth mother and the adoptive family have communicated their wants and desires to each other, and they expect the same thing out of the relationship. And that's something that we work really hard for. Another thing that we do that's important is working on a hospital plan before delivery. So we want to make sure we want her to have the kind of birth that she wants, if that means natural or a doula or if in a hospital setting, um, and what she wants that to look like. Does she want uh, the father of the baby um, involved if he's still um, involved in the relationship? Does she want her parents or does she not want certain people in that environment? Would that stress her out and make her uncomfortable? So we're helping work through those kinds of things. And we're also working directly with the hospital to communicate those things with the hospital so they understand what will be happening in the adoption process when that client delivers at the hospital. Um, and then delivery happens. And um, of course, that can go a lot of different ways. We, um, you know, sometimes women, a lot of the women that we're working with uh, I've mentioned that maybe they already have children, so um, this will not be their first delivery. And sometimes, obviously, it is their first delivery. And so there's an, a lot of emotions that come up with that. And so we know that that's a critical time in her process. And we work hard to educate the doctors and hospitals in the communities that we're working in because we know that this can be a point of trauma for our clients. And we want to make sure that everyone is educated. They're using the correct language, which will touch on a little bit later and that they um that they understand that she's doing this out of compassion and love for her baby and to make sure there's not any judgment in that room. Um, sometimes hospital staff um, can seem um, or they maybe they've seen some bad adoptions and they feel protective and they want to help. And sometimes their help is amazing and sometimes it's misguided. So we spend a lot of time educating hospital staff about um, about the considerations with adoption and what that patient or client may be needing. We also realize this will be a time of great emotion for her. And so tears are expected and we understand that. And we work hard um, to make sure that um, that she's feeling her emotions because that is also an important part. In the state of Texas, an expectant mom or a birth mom cannot relinquish her baby until at least 48 hours after delivery, after all pain medication. So um, she, can, she can't sign her relinquishment until that time. She can have longer if she likes. That's just the soonest that she can do it. Um, and during this time, this would be a time that she may be um, wavering and or she may be super committed to her adoption. Sometimes the adoptive families involved in the delivery. Um, it's totally up to her. Um, and if they are, then relinquishment usually happens um, within that 48-hour period um, because they're all at the hospital together. Some adoptive parents take um, 
placement right um, at the hospital. And then some, um, for legal reasons or other reasons, they may have to wait a little while. And I'll talk about a transitional care families a little bit later. Um, and so when placement happens, that can happen at the hospital. It can happen at Gladney. It can happen you know, in a church, wherever the expectant mom or the adoptive family wants that um, placement to happen, they kind of create their own placement plan, which can be very beautiful and very diverse depending on the parents and the expectant moms. Um, and then I've, I've already touched on a little bit about the post-adoption agreement, but also um, six weeks after delivery, our birth mothers are transferred to um, a post-adoption caseworker, and that caseworker is their caseworker for the rest of their time at Gladney. So um, our services are lifelong, so we can continue to offer her support and counseling. Um, we can also get her outside counseling um, for free if she's having a hard time um, after delivery, but we're committed to being there for her and with her. And it's not unusual um, for our clients to call us maybe five years down the road and just wanna talk about um, their experience or maybe they're feeling some new emotions and they wanna speak to a counselor and we can definitely make that happen. We also have support groups in different parts um, we have um, of the country. So we have one in Florida that is amazing. And we just started a new support group in a partnership with the table um, and that, um, that group is called Resilience. So that's just getting off the ground and we're real excited to see where that goes. So that's a little bit about the process, um, just um, from a very snapshot focus, but our main job is to make sure that we're just meeting our clients where they are and that we're helping them. Um, one of the programs that I'm really excited about at Gladney is a program that is, um, that's called Next Steps. And that is working with a caseworker um, while she's working with the caseworker on her adoption plan, she's also working with um, our another caseworker on her personal growth plan. And that's all about what she wants um, for her future and helping her figure out, first of all, sometimes we're starting off with how to dream. She may not know what she wants to do um, after she delivers. She may not know what her career goals are or what kind of life skills she would like to learn. And so we help identify that and then we help plug her into the places that we can make that possible. Um, I think like two years ago, one of my favorite stories is we had a, a birth mother who wanted to learn to be a, um, she wanted to learn how to be a tractor driver. So uh, she went to tractor school and she learned how to be like a, a, a really great warehouse worker driving a tractor. So that was kind of exciting to see in a different kind of dream. Um, and so that's, that's a really important part of their process too, is our hope is that we're helping clients leave in a better position than when they came in. So sometimes that means, you know, maybe helping them get identification, helping them get dental work that they need, helping them understand how to dream, helping them understand um, what kind of skills they have or they would be good at. So those are some of the things that we're working on alongside her adoption plan. Some of the free services that we have, I'd mentioned some of them already. Our first response is what we uh, call if someone calls us and they wanna meet with us right away, we can deploy a caseworker, usually within 24 hours, depending on where she is. And that's just to talk and just 
provide her with face-to-face uh, -face information and contact. Um, I, our community service plan is just um, our basic plan. I mentioned that we used to have a dorm and now all of the clients that we work with, even if they need housing, they're still uh, considered a community service. We help find um, living arrangements um, in their area. And then obviously uh, we take care of the medical care, the educational opportunities that I mentioned through Next Steps, um, all the clinical services that we offer, legal services. Um, we have great online profiles for our adoptive parents because we know that's what she's looking for. And then I mentioned the uh, post-adoption services that we have. R&R &R is an interesting program because we also know that we're working with a lot of families that may be at risk for abuse and neglect. And so if someone contacts us and they're having a hard time parenting, then what we're going to do is we're going to um, see if they need some respite care, see if they just need a break from parenting and to sort things out and figure out what they need to be a successful parent. And then um, and then during that time, she can be cons uh, considering maybe making an adoption plan or maybe just helping to sort things out. And once we sort those things out, she'll be just fine to parent again. Um, she just needed a break. And I think we've all been there, right? I know what that feels like. Um, I've already mentioned that in the state of Texas, expectant mothers cannot sign relinquishment documents until at least 48 hours after delivery. Um, but once she signs, it's irrevocable. So. Uh, we don't want anyone signing if they are wavering or if they feel like this is not the good decision for them. Our caseworkers work really hard to make sure that we're giving her all of her options and that she understands that she can definitely parent if that's what she wants to do. Um, and any possible fathers of the baby can sign the waiver before the baby is born. Um, so sometimes we have alleged fathers or fathers um, who may, may not be sure if they're the father, but they can go ahead and sign the waiver before the baby is born. We um, One of the next presentations I want to bring to GE, so look for this this summer, is I want to have a whole university on the legal challenges and issues and ethics surrounding adoption. It's fascinating, and we have an amazing speaker named Heidi Cox, who's working really hard um, right now um, on lots of different legislative efforts around adoption, but she's an amazing um, resource source and she's a great speaker so stay tuned for that later on that's just a little tease for something coming up so um, another way so the the way that I just um, explained adoption is really just like from start to finish if she's planning adoption. Now, sometimes we have what we call newborn or toddler adoption, um, and that can be straight from the hospital or it can be someone contacting us that um, really just is not in a position to parent for whatever reason. And so our job is to jump in and care for that, that toddler, that child or children and mother. Um, so that usually starts with a call, email or instant message from our website. Um, and we just, our caseworker just, we usually have about four or five people working on those kinds of cases just to make sure that we're getting everything in order. They're usually pretty complicated and maybe some bad stuff has already happened. Maybe 
some abuse has already happened. Maybe CPS is already involved and we're working directly with CPS. Um, we have a great relationship with CPS and we value the work that they do and they can be great community partners. So if I have any CPS workers out there, thank you for what you do. It's a hard job and we're very, very grateful for you. Um, and we want to be your partner. We know the hard things that you see. So um, we'll just jump in and I'll start working to help um, her and her children and, and the father if he's involved. Usually he's not though. Um, and so we will start offering the same services that we would if she was planning adoption from the beginning. So um, we would make, we would help her choose the family if she wanted to choose the family. We would help her um, figure out what kinds of services she needs. We would figure out the timeline together. Um, depending on how old the child is, it wouldn't just be, um, you know, just us separating everyone all at once. Maybe there needs to be a more gradual solution, or maybe um, maybe it does need to be all at once because she's on the verge of, of not doing well, um, or maybe she's done something already that um, she's not proud of, and so we're helping her in that situation. Um, we can help her in a lot of different ways. It just depends on what she's needing, and we can definitely help the children. Um, we do place older children or toddlers uh, quite often, so that's not anything new for Gladney, uh, but it is something that we're seeing more of. And so as um, especially during the pandemic when people may be in really difficult circumstances or um, they may not have, um, maybe they lost their job or they don't have family and they're just needing some extra support and help, we can help them in a variety of ways. So um, if you ever are working with a client that you feel like needs help, please keep us in mind because we're happy to step in and be that resource. I want to talk a little bit about um, barriers to adoption because um, if you're looking at um, some of the barriers to adoption, um, there are there are a lot. Um, and this is just kind of a slide that kind of breaks down um, some pregnancy, unplanned pregnancy statistics in general, just so you can see how little adoption is chosen. I think there is a lot of reasons for that. Barriers to adoption is one of them. And there's going to be some more that we talk about in depth, a little bit more in depth. So what would you think, and you can put this in the chat if you don't mind, what are reasons you think would prevent someone from making an adoption plan? And Nancy and Ashley will read those to us so we can see, but I, I would just love to know your insight or what you think would prevent someone from making an adoption plan. And please um, feel free to ask me any questions as we go along too. I know I've been going at a pretty steady pace, but I just wanna make sure we cover all the material, but I definitely wanna answer your questions. Has anyone um, put anything in so far? Yeah. So we've got a good one, pressure from family. Mm -hmm. And another one, family pressures, shamed. That's a big one. Feel like they have failed. That is a big one. In fact, we just did a video on on shame. Um, one of our expectant moms talked um, pretty in depth about some of the shame that she felt when she first found out she was pregnant. She was um, she was actually um, like a superstar student, and she um, was a perfectionist. And she talked very candidly about the shame that she felt. But shame is a good one. Um, there could be a lack of education about the adoption process. Um, and then, of course, you've heard this a lot, I'm sure. How can you carry a baby for nine months and then, quote unquote, give it up? Um, that, that is 
difficult. Um, fear that the child will be abused is something that we hear. I think that goes back to the lack of education around the adoption process. And then cultural barriers to adoption is a big one. We need to make sure that we're addressing those cultural barriers and that people, um, that we are meeting them where they are and meeting their cultural needs. Um, maybe their family won't permit adoption. Maybe there's peer pressure or she feels like a lack of control. Um, there's so many different barriers to adoption. Kind of our job as professionals and as someone working with our clients is to help remove some of those barriers and help her understand the adoption process and help give her the tools um, that she needs to communicate with her family and her peers about why she's doing this and about um, how the process is working. Um, sometimes um, when you're working with a, a client and they're, you know, some of the things that they're afraid of may be, um, things that can be addressed. And sometimes they're legitimate. There is definitely family barriers to adoption, but we can help um, mitigate those, those circumstances by helping with family counseling or giving her the tools to communicate effectively with her family. There are also professional barriers to adoption. We know from um, a, a lot of different research that um, very many adoption or very many professionals, uh, counselors, social workers, doctors, nurses, um, do not bring up the adoption option with the with the client. And there are lots of reasons for that. So I'd be interested in knowing what um, can you name some of the professional barriers um, that you may face in educating clients about the option of adoption? I'd love to know your thoughts. None yet? Well, just no, like. None yet. Okay. We're, just we're, like, we're getting some, Jennifer. So, okay. um, personal bias, is, mm -hmm. I think, is a really good one that we're hearing. Um, personal feelings, positive or negative, about adoption. Professionals might not have had a bad experience with adoption in the past. Oh, sorry. Professionals might have had a bad experience with adoption in the past. Those right. are great reasons. Yeah. Um, very true for everything that you guys, thank you so much for speaking up and familiar with the adoption process. Maybe there's cultural barriers on the professional side too, really high workloads. Maybe they don't have time to talk about the adoption option. Um, maybe there's a concern about um, lack of, and I would say, um, you know, adoption resources that they trust. That's a really important thing is to have resources that you trust. Um, maybe there's distrust with a past adoption agency, or maybe they prejudge a client's decision. I used to be a lead master trainer for the National Council for Adoption. And um, one of the, the tools that I used, or one of the analogies that I used in my presentation is that when someone is facing an unplanned pregnancy, many times they are given two options and those two options are termination or parenting and adoption is not mentioned 
And I always think that's such a disservice to the client because, or the patient, because if she had another diagnosis, let's say cancer, and the doctor only mentioned two of her treatment options, that would be incredibly unethical and could really impact the quality of her life or even the longevity of her life. And so um, there's just no way that a doctor would only give someone, you know, two treatment options if there were three available. And that's how I feel about adoption is that I'm incredibly passionate about the fact that um, a physician, a, a uh, OBGYN, any any professional should not prejudge a client's decision or a patient's decision about adoption. Um, there could be circumstances that they are not aware of in her life. And if they just mention that option along with the other treatment options, I think that it could really be um, opening up another world for her and providing more opportunities for her um, and more choices. So I think it's incredibly important to get the education and the skill that you need to bring up the adoption option. Another thing that I want to really focus on is the fact that and I, and I am passionate about this too, so I'll, I'll start getting like really like so excited when I'm talking about it. But if parents aren't prepared to parent, that doesn't make them a bad person, right? Um, we see that all the time. Maybe they don't have the resources they need. And adoption can be the prevention to abuse and foster care, if you think about that like that. Um, I often, when I'm educating um, nurses and doctors in the field about the adoption option, I'll, I'll kind of make the analogy of, you know, she's at a, if she's in the hospital and she's not made uh, a parenting plan and she's not sure what she wants to do, it's an amazing time to bring up adoption because at that point she could still choose the adoptive family. Nothing bad has happened. Um, no one's been hurt or injured or neglected. And so they, at that moment, have almost like a chance to um, provide a whole nother option to her. And she could go down a whole nother road that she didn't even know existed. And so that would prevent any abuse or neglect from happening. So I think it's important that people understand adoption and understand how to talk about it. It's not a shameful thing. It's not a negative thing. It is something that is providing um, multiple people with multiple options. And adoption looks so different today than it even did 20 years ago. So those, that's my like personal like passion of like, we should be talking about adoption in these different settings because there's nothing wrong with it. Um, Gladney absolutely believes in family preservation and when a family can be together and they can be together healthy, that's an amazing thing. But when that's not possible because of dif different circumstances, then there is another amazing option and that is adoption. But, um, but I think the more we know, the better we can do, right? And so when we talk about these barriers to adoption, and there are a lot of them, I don't want you to think that I'm saying this is an easy choice and it's right for everyone, because I absolutely do not believe that. Um, I do believe that it's a really hard choice and I think it can be really painful um, and it can be hard, but it can also be 
amazing. And so addressing the barriers is really important through education, understanding the adoption process, which we talked about a little bit today on the expectant mom side, understanding the empowering effect of choice, um, and understanding that adoption is a child-centered option. So we at Gladney, every decision we make is through the lens of what is in the best interest of the child. And ethics is our number one key and so together with those two things, um, if you're putting the child first and making a child-centered um, decision, then sometimes that, that perspective is a little bit more clear or less cloudy. But it's also important to utilize accurate adoption language and to utilize adoption resources. There are so many out there, you guys. Um, great resources. Gladney has obviously lots of different resources, and I'll have a slide at the end with what those resources are. But um, And we provide lots of different customized trainings for different organizations, and we teach people how to bring up the adoption option with their patients or clients in a non-directive way. Um, and there's just a great amount of you know, websites and um, other uh, birth mother support groups like Brave Love are amazing and they um, they can help provide perspective and information about, about different kinds of adoptions. I want to talk a little bit about the importance of accurate adoption language because I think this is honestly one of the most important tools in talking to someone about adoption. Um, it really helps the expectant mom better understand her choice or her choices, and it doesn't attack her emotionally, and it doesn't place judgment on her choices. And all those things are incredibly important when you're talking about um, when you're talking about her options and making sure that you're using language that is accurate and compassionate. If um, we go back to the two choices of, of parenting a baby and terminating or choosing abortion, um, clinicians will always use the correct terms in describing, um, or usually the correct terms in describing those options, but then put adoption on uneven ground by not using accurate terms. And so that's a disservice to the client or the patient when that happens. Um, it's important that when you're making an adoption plan that you call that um, what it is. It's making a plan. She's making a plan for her baby or her child's future. And that takes a lot of steps. It takes a lot of um, she has to go through a lot of self-examination. It's so different than giving away a baby or abandoning a baby. That is not the same thing at all. So um, it's really important to call it what it is. And then parenting a baby versus keeping a baby. Keeping a baby makes it sound like it's very passive and there's not a lot of work involved. And we know um, that parenting a baby, there is an enormous amount of work and it's not just a baby, it's a lifetime, you know, 18 years of, of parenting a child. So it's not just in the short, and 18 years minimum, by the way, my 23 year old daughter just moved back home. <laughs> So I'm still parenting her. In fact, we had a fight the other day at the grocery store because I didn't want to get her favorite flavored ice cream. I was like, honey, are you 12? Um, so that's just a little funny story about my 23-year-old daughter that I'm still parenting. <laughs> but um, I love, there was an exercise that I used to do uh, when I worked for the NCFA. And we would ask, um, especially students in a classroom, to on sticky notes, write down as, as many parenting responsibilities as they could. 
And it was so funny because they would always do, there would, they would get stuck after 10 or 12. So they would always do like feeding, uh, changing the baby, bathing the baby. But after that, they didn't really know what else to expect. And so that just shows you the lens that they're looking at of what parenting really means. It's not just 10 or 12 little steps that you do. It is a lifetime of, of, of really caring for them emotionally, physically, um, and all and mentally, all kinds of ways. And so to help them understand at the very least, if they're going to parent, to help them understand what that means so they understand what kind of resources they need and they can plan for it. And then talking about biological parents um, versus real parents. Um, this is a big one for me because um, biological or birth parent um, is the correct term. A real parent is um, kind of a derogatory term, meaning that, you know, like what are like saying that they're not real, that they're if they're an unreal or a fake parent. And so language plays a very, very important role um, in non-directive counseling and making sure people understand their choices. We have the great news for that is we have lots of different resources around that. And I want to talk about that right now, too. Um, some of our resources that I mentioned early on was our transitional care families. So they are volunteers that volunteer just for Gladney. They're licensed by the state though. They have to go through the same training and education as um, a foster care parent, but they care for the babies in between or the children in between um, the time a, a birth mother signs her relinquishment until placement can happen. Um, they provide all the nursery equipment for the babies they take care of. They take the babies to the pediatrician appointments. They take them to their hospital visits if they are staying in the hospital or and they come and stay with them and they'll do the skin to skin contact if for some reason the adoptive parents aren't um, haven't been located for this baby yet or um, we haven't been able to complete an adoption. Um, they also keep notes about the baby so kind of a, a a fun thing that our adoptive families like to say is that um, when they adopt a baby who's been with the transitional care family, that their baby really does come with instructions because the transitional care moms do a great job of, of making sure that they're taking detailed notes and that they have a feeding schedule for that baby and they know what formula that baby lacks or what formula the baby may be um, allergic to or if it's um, older children that they're taking care of for the time being they can know what kinds of things are important to those children. So transitional care families are very, very important in the process, and we're very grateful for them. Gladney also has a, um, a special needs special care program. So obviously we do have babies that are born with special needs, uh, ranging from genetic special needs to uh, maybe the baby is born with some opioids in their system or, or something like that. And so we have a whole program dedicated to special needs babies. And we have very special parents that sign up just to be special needs um, parents. So um, if you ever are working with someone and they have a special needs baby, um, please know that Gladney has a very special program for them and we're proud of that program. I've already mentioned our RESP and Respite program, but the slide just gives more details about that program. Um, but um, our clients are assigned a, a counselor and it's short term usually within two to three weeks, um, but they uh, figure out 
what the, the challenges and the barriers are to the parenting and figure out if we can overcome those barriers and challenges with our resources that we have in the community or other additional support. And then if that is not possible and they decide they want to make an adoption plan, we can help with that too. Um, so this is a growing program and please know this is um, in existence for women who, um, who may need a break, but who are also interested in exploring adoption. Um, we have lots and lots of resources for you guys. Um, so we have a great brochure called The Brave New World of Adoption. We have um, a really great and journaling your next steps um, that that's about to turn into another resource. We're in the process of creating called a pregnancy planner that will help um, with their pregnancy plans and also um, asking them to journal and asking them open-ended questions. Um, we have a great handout about our R&R program that I just talked about. We have a great handout on accurate adoption language. Brave Love is an adoption community. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram. They are amazing. If you're not following them, I highly suggest that you do. Um, and then our own website, gladneyadoption.com, has just had a little facelift and it's really beautiful and there's a lot of great information on there. We also have adoption.org, um, which is kind of a more generic website about adoption, but it has some great information on there. And then I mentioned our resilience birth mother support group. That's great. One of the things that I want to mention before I leave you guys is that when you're talking about adoption with someone who may be unsure of what they want to do, a lot of times people are very hesitant to bring up the adoption option because they don't want to offend someone. But it can be as simple as a question. Can I ask you if you've considered adoption? And that just opens up the door to so many different conversations because if they say no, then you can talk to them about what adoption is like today. You can do your homework and find some adoption agencies that you like and that you trust. You can ask questions of them, get to know their staff, staff get to know how to refer a client to them. Um, and you can feel comfortable making that handoff or that transfer. But it starts with asking a question, have you considered adoption? And if the answer is yes, then you can talk to them about your resources, share those resources, bring up a website, show them a video, and you can talk more about that and you can help them figure out the next steps for that. If, um, if they have not considered adoption, you can do the same, almost the same path. Just tell them that you've recently attended a training and that you've learned a lot of, hopefully you've learned a lot about adoption in the process and helping them understand where to get more information and to at least just consider it because it's a lot different than they may think. After this training, um, we're gonna send you a video um, and I hope you do go on our website and check it out and get familiar with um, all of our different programs and um, the resources that we have for expectant moms or someone who's already parenting. But just know that we're here for you and that we're happy to answer any of your questions. Um, our 1-800-GLADI number is um, accessible every day, 8.30 to 10 p.m. And I've mentioned our website and our email address, hello at gladney.org can be very helpful too if you have a question. 
I've left a little bit of time uh, on purpose, um, just in case anybody wants to ask any questions or if there's something that I didn't touch on that you would like me to, I'm happy to do that. Um, I want to just make sure that I get everything answered for you guys. And I'm very, very grateful that you tuned in today. Thank you so much for supporting Gliding University. We have some great trainings coming up, including some ethics trainings that are, um, we had to reschedule our, our February ethics trainings due to our amazing blizzard in Texas, but those have been rescheduled and we have some great things coming up. So please let me know if you have any questions right now. I'm happy to answer them. And if not, um, as soon as we sign off, you should be getting a link and um, you can fill that out to get your CEs. Nancy, do we have questions? I love speaking all the time. And I, I you know, it's that mute button that gets me every time. We don't have any questions yet, but if you all have any for Jennifer, please go ahead and put them in the chat and send them on. Also, um, you can put them into the Q&A and I've got both of those pulled up. Um, I have one person that has their hand raised, and I don't know if they meant to do that or not, but if you could type in your question, that would be wonderful, and we will try to get that answered for you. In the meantime, I just want to, Jennifer, thank you so much for this great training. I really enjoyed hearing the history of Gladney. Again, um, I think it's really interesting to, to hear about um, the evolution of adoption also that you have shared with us. And, sure. Uh, I did want to mention, I put it in the chat that um, gladiadoption.com, I put the URL in there. We did have a recent facelift. And for any expected parent or birth parent that's currently parenting that's looking for an adoptive family, um, there's a great search feature on there where they can search all kinds of different things. Also, if they know of, of a person's name, they can just type that in so they don't have to keep finding that. So we do have a question. Um, from Cheryl. Jennifer, some thoughts or suggestions on talking about real parents versus adoptive when a, with adopted children. So let me read that again. Thoughts, suggestions on talking about real parents versus adoptive with adopted children. Sure. And um, I hope that, you know, I'm, I'm going to go off the assumption that the children know they're adopted. But first, I would just start by talking about. Um, real parents, like defining what real means in the, in the sense that, you know, looking that word up and reading that definition to them and helping them understand what a biological parent is versus an adopted parent. And, and depending on the child's age, that can be like a very, um, that can be like a very um, simple explanation of um, a biological parent is the parent that actually gave birth to you or, you know, and that your adopted parent is the, is the parent that is, that's, if, if it's you, like, that's me. That's the person that loves you. And uh, we went through a special process to, to get you and um, you're very much loved and adored and just talking to them about um, what the process was like and then helping them understand what real is versus biological. And I, 
I'm not going into too much detail here because I don't know if the biological parent, if there was some, if it was a planned adoption or if it was a removal. Um, based on those circumstances, that conversation can look a little bit different, but I would just start with the very basics and very age appropriate. Um, and also uh, on our website, we have some great books um, for, re for talking to children about adoption as well. Anybody else? Great, thanks. No, we're just getting some thank you. It's very interesting and we appreciate you. So thank you for that. Um, any other questions, feel free to type them in here as I go through some housekeeping to wrap us up. Just want to remind everyone that if you are requesting CEUs for this presentation by Jennifer, that we're happy to provide those for you. We just need you to fill out the evaluation form. When you leave the webinar in your web browser, the evaluation form will pop up and you just fill that out. Also, if you miss that or sometimes it doesn't pop up for people, then you will get an email tomorrow around 2 p.m. Central Time, and there will be a link. Zoom calls it a survey, and it will be at the top of the email. So you just click on that, and you can fill out the evaluation, and we'll get that. And then um, we will send those out within um, 7 to 10 business days. If you'll give us the time for that and the grace for that, we would appreciate it. And you can always email um, adoption at cloudy.org if you don't receive, and we are happy to look into that for you. Um, also, we have lots of upcoming trainings that are going on, the two ethics that Jennifer mentioned, and then we also have a um, child abuse training that will be coming on April the 6th. All of those can be found at gladneyuniversity.com. So go on over there and register. There's also a place where if you want to be kept up to date on what the trainings are, that you can um, sign up for that and you will be emailed those. So we really appreciate it. Thank you once again, Jennifer, for a great talk. We appreciate you. And thank you guys for attending another Gladney University training. Thank you for tuning in to Gladney University's podcast. We hope you learned something special. To learn more about Gladney, check out our website at gladney.org. You can find this podcast where all the cool podcasts live, Apple, Google, and more. Thanks for joining us.